Ahoy mateys, this is A7X Fan Ben, and this is Pirate CSG podcast number 38. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about some news developments, and along with some game essentials, playing another idea I have for playing solo pirates without favoring a faction, and try to introduce a new segment and new idea at the end as well. So I'll jump right into things with the news. As you probably know, miniature trading is alive into the new year, so that's great. Not too surprising after the admin messaged me in late November about how card market was looking to hopefully continue the property. So it's nice to see the site surviving, though. And I've got on my Instagram, uh, which is at PirateCSG, all one word on Instagram, I'm reposting and retelling the story of my Economy Edition game, the campaign game I played in summer 2015. So if you follow me on Instagram, you can get the pictures from that game, posting them in the exact same sequence and order with the caption, with the original captions from the battle reports and everything. So trying to kind of transfer pirates uh, battle reports to Instagram, so that'll be fun. And Yobago Deuce has showed up on eBay, but it's already gone. So it sold for five hundred dollars. So kudos to uh, people at the BST Facebook group for alerting me because I didn't even notice. Um, so it sold for 500 bucks. Eagleman94 is a classic seller I've bought from him in the past. It's great. Price is a little high right now, but that's whatever. Um, so $500 for an Obago Deuce is just an absurd number. So that's for one ship, not even a good ship. And it's basically three cards of plastic. But supposedly there's only about 30 in existence. So the rarest ship in the game, without a doubt, pretty much by far. I've got it up here um, so you can see it if you're watching the video. So, and the, you can look in the eBay thread, the huge eBay thread on miniature trading to see some of the old pages of that thread do have some records of Obago Deuces in the past selling for decent sums. I remember, I think it was Motorcycle Matt got one for $232.50, but that was one of the highs that I've found. And the Obago Deuce is so rare that it, you almost never hear about it changing hands nowadays. Um, in the past, like, five or more years, you almost never, you never even know that one's available. They're, they're just not, you know, they're not, they're not, like, traded or exchanged often. I know Bozernath in the UK got rid of his eventually. I think that was maybe 2015 when he was getting rid of his collection on miniature trading. But this one, whopping 500 bucks. And I actually, you can see on the screen if you're watching, um, I actually messaged EUMAN94 on eBay. And he says, yes, it did sell for 500 because sometimes it'll, eBay is a little weird on how it works in terms of like best offer and what things sell for and things like that. So he said it sold so quickly that he didn't even have a chance to post about it on miniature trading. So again, thanks to the Facebook group members to alerting the community to that. And uh, it's kind of absurd, but pretty cool at the same time to see, you know, 11 years now after the game goes out of print, having a, a single ship sell for half of a thousand dollars is pretty cool. So a little crazy, but pretty neat at the same time. So the Obago Deuce is has come and gone for 500 bucks, which is actually more than that entire punch set of South China Seas sold for. That was like 482, I think, 485 um, last summer. So pretty, pretty impressive. And maybe the most an Obago Deuce has ever sold for, but again, have to look through the eBay thread to see if there's more. So anyway, Getting into a few more news things that are kind of more personal. I'm having some slight technical issues. I'm hoping this podcast will record properly. 
um, the video and the audio. Had an issue with the, the last episode of the hourly campaign, streaming it to YouTube. The streaming and recording were both all messed up and way shorter than they were supposed to be. It was bizarre. But it seems to be going okay. I just recorded a vlog successfully, so it should be all right. But um, my computer fan is running a lot, so technical issues might compromise the podcast episodes and the hourly campaign going forward. But hopefully, either it'll just work anyway, um, like I'm hoping with this episode, and hopefully I can find a solution. So along with that, between God Mason being busy, uh, some impending changes in my life this year, uh, a somewhat declining content base, like we've already talked about a ton of stuff on the podcast, 37 episodes in the bag, 24 last year, um, which I was happy with. Because, I mean, if you think about it, 52 weeks in a year, and our plan generally is or was to do um, bi-weekly, so that'd be 26. So out of 26, 26 episodes last year would be a perfect score, theoretically. So 24 out of 26 is pretty good. And then uh, what I mean by declining content base, too, though, is we've done so many episodes, and we have pretty much finished the set reviews. We have plenty more to talk about, but we have covered, you know, a lot already. So between those issues, the declining content base, um, potential technical issues, um, Xerx and I have had trouble with Skype lately. We've had to use Discord instead. Um, between all those things, um, just a note to kind of lower your expectations a little bit, at least in terms of, like, um, volume of content, not just for the podcast in general. So, but expect shorter and less episodes this year. Um, and suggesting topics is great. So I always link to the, um, the Pirate CSG podcast survey um, in the description or the post or whatever for the podcast. So always make sure to do that. And if you don't see it, just let me know so I can edit it to make sure it's there. Um, taking the podcast survey to suggest topics and whatnot and give feedback on it is awesome. Um, it really provides us with good ideas, valuable ideas to talk about for content moving forward. Um, on the flip side, there is a chance that with shorter episodes, and the way I want to do it is if we can do a weekly episode that's only like half an hour, there's a slight chance we might actually do more episodes this year. That's contingent on a lot of other things. So if anything, just expect less and we'll see what happens. So a lot of things kind of in limbo as of now. Um, short solo episodes may sometimes be even less than 30 minutes. So this one, I'm not sure how long this one will last, but... And that's partly because I can cover a bunch of stuff quickly, it seems, especially with only one opinion on each topic. So hoping to get more guests in soon, along with Xerix, hopefully, and hopefully God Mason at some point, of course. So, but for some of the solo episodes, I might be able to zip through things quickly. So it might be some shorter episodes, or sometimes very short episodes this year, potentially. So at Pirates with Ben, my fan site, it's going pretty well. And I'm trying to do a poster page every day on there. So I'm going through miniature trading content for some of my best past content. A lot of it, I'm republishing a lot of stuff just in case miniature trading does implode or go down or disappear. And I can't find it again. So I'm slowly working my way through the forum pages from newest to oldest. And republishing content and posts and whatnot that I really want to save. Not just in picture form, because I've already got a lot of pictures of forum topics that I've saved. but um, but I like to have the text form too, so it's searchable on the web. And I just want to republish some content from there anyway, just so I own it and have it on my own site, not just miniature trading. And um, in terms of that, uh, commenting on my content at Pirates with Ben will help the site grow and make it more popular as like a hub for Pirate CSG. So I don't necessarily, I never wanted to uh, compete with miniature trading, but if miniature trading is unreliable, 
or if it might go down, or if it's, you know, kind of in limbo, I'll try my best to keep, I'm going to keep Pirates of Ben up no matter what, basically. Um, so I want to make Pirates of Ben a hub, so for Pirates DSG content, so commenting on posts and pages at my site, Pirates of Ben, is a great way to help the site out, and then plus I'll respond to your comments on there, so thank you for any help in that regard. And of course, there's the forum too, and I was uh, actually behind on that because Wolf has, Wolf has gotten on which is nice. So he's responding to some of the rules for thought threads. So thank you, Wolf, for that. Some really interesting ideas percolating around there, or percolating. <laughs> so so we've got Wolf on the forums, Eric's as well, and a bunch of other members too. So it's it's uh, it's going pretty good. So Pirates of Ben doing solid. Um, looking at podcast data from Shout Engine, which is the main host for this podcast, we seem to have about 33 unique IP addresses per episode, which is cool. So thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and uh, hopefully the podcast won't decline this year, but just a lot of uncertainty going forward, I guess you could say. Um, getting into some other topics, that's pretty much wraps up the news, kind of a lot. Um, it has been a while since the last podcast, more than three weeks, I think. So getting at some survey um, suggestions here, somebody asked about game essentials, and mostly, you know, you get everything you need in the pack, of course, game in every pack, but... Uh, along with the measuring card, uh, I, I like to use an extra deck plate card for measuring because if you use one of the ships you're using in the game, you might have crew chips or coins on the ship's deck plate, so you might not want to use that uh, for measuring in the same game. So another way to circumvent that is to use straws. So not just not necessarily the fat ones, but there's kind of like those like stirrer straws. The really thin ones can work pretty well. I actually know about this because Someone generously included some. I think it was an eBay lot. I don't think it was a trade. Um, I got a bunch for free, red and white straws, with the red being L length, and I've measured them to the card. They're like all, pretty much all of them are cut perfectly. I've got some L red straws and some white S straws um, to use, and they're thin enough that you can place them um, like forward of a ship's bow, and then you can actually, without even picking the ship up, you can just move it forward and the straw goes in between the hull pieces, so it moves over it, and you can take the straw out from underneath it at the stern of the ship. So, and beyond that, they're great for when you use arches and things like that, like custom islands and terrain, where you've got a ship going underneath something, you can put the straws to help measure, because sometimes the card won't fit well, or it'll topple over, things like that. And the straws are also great for planning moves, like move actions and stuff, and segments, and pre-measuring. I'm definitely a fan of that because I really love the strategic side of things. So I do like to pre-measure sometimes and see if I'll be in range with any cannons and stuff like that. So the straws are cool because if you've got a bunch of them, you can lay them out to pre-measure a move action like LSS, for example, uh, and take up a lot less space than using cards where if you're using cards for that, they might you might have to overlap a ship or like they might be partly on an island, stuff like that. But the straws, nice and thin little tiny straws can be... And can be really good for pre-measuring and planning different um, move segments and whatnot. So, along with that, with game essentials. Um, I don't like using the tiny dice, the little D6 that come in the packs, because partly because I played on a rug in the past where it doesn't really land upright. Rather than like on a flat surface table, it'll be like in between like the little chunks of the rug. So, I like to use the big D6 from the special edition boxes. Obviously, they're just like regular dice. Um, you could get from whatever game or just from a lot of dice or whatever. Um, 
But, um, so I like using the big ones for ease of use and likely better results. So I found with the, the tiny ones, sometimes sometimes they bounce pretty well, but sometimes they're just kind of weird. They're hard to even see sometimes, too. Especially if you've got a multiplayer game on like a big table. You know, you don't, you don't want to shoot at somebody's ship and then they have to like ask you what the result is. So um, I did have a weird idea, though. Um, if you've got like a 10 master, like the Zeus, and you have all 3S cannons, for example, and if you somehow got them all in range of one target, um, like a large ship, maybe, you could actually get, you could have all the cannons shoot. This is just a fun, casual, silly idea. You could get 10 of the tiny D6, 10 of the little tiny dice that come in the packs and dump them, roll them all at once for like a like a Zeus super smash, Zeus smash shoot action. So you could roll them all at once um, since all the cannon ranks are the same. Um, if you were all shooting at the same target and wanted to sink it, of course. So anyway, just a silly idea. Uh, going on to the next topic, uh, I had another idea on playing solo games of pirates, like just playing by yourself without having to favor a faction. And that's basically what I do, which is really delve into each faction, especially before playing. So maybe stop playing favorites in general. Force yourself to use a faction you've never played before. So let's say you love the English, Jades, and the French, um, but you do have some Corsair ships. Maybe use the Corsairs for once. I mean, they're a good faction. Even if you don't want to, you know, it's fun to just change it up sometimes. I'm just a huge advocate of that. I've talked about it on the podcast maybe too much, if anything. But still, I think it's a really valuable idea. And I think kind of becoming like almost like a personal fan of each faction in specific situations or scenarios is a really good way to help you play solo games without favoring a specific faction. So like I know for myself, like I love the English, but I've played them so much already. Um, I know what they're like and I've won with them. So and it kind of does come with experience. Sometimes you get sick of the same factions or you might get sick of using the same ships or the same faction in every single game. So then another idea I have on this is to look at historical stuff and kind of immerse yourself in the history of uh, the actual Age of Sail and stuff like that. Um, I might even link to some of the books I've read, or at least a search anyway. So I've always been a huge fan of naval warfare in the Age of Sail. So tons of great books on it. So you could read a book on the Spanish Empire and then see if you'd like playing the Spanish better afterwards. I know that's helped me. That's one of the biggest reasons the English are my favorite factions anyway is actually because um, the Royal Navy was so dominant in, in real life, and I just find that so fascinating, um, their military dominance in the age of sail and whatnot, and afterwards, of course. But And then another idea, completely the opposite tack, um, you can't really read about the cursed in history. <laughs> um, so you could do you could make customs inspired by pop culture to play the cursed or Vikings, etc. So you could look at movies or TV shows or, or fiction or whatever, and then you know maybe you don't want to play the Vikings or the cursed, in a game, you could make your own customs based on stuff you do like, and then translate that, give them abilities based on like your fan fantasy books or whatever it is, and then use them from there and, and not even bother using the WizKit stuff. So that could be an interesting, a fun way to get into the customs game, which is really fun and has been really rewarding for me, having made two giant custom sets myself. So just think outside the box and try to really become a fan of each faction, partly due to know and yeah, this is for me, but partly doing, due to knowing about all the ships and crew in the game, I find it easy and fun to play as any faction. So, for example, I do control the Vikings as a solo faction without any allies in Basil Campaign 4. I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, it should be pretty amusing to see them try to survive 
they might struggle to try to have them survive as their own faction and kind of groundbreaking in terms of factional playing campaign games because in previous vassal campaign games we haven't really had the minor factions play by themselves they've either they've usually just been privateer factions basically so it's going to be interesting to see how they do same thing is happening in the hourly campaign at which I'm documenting on YouTube so got a ton of factions there including the minor factions um, by themselves so next up I'm going to try a new segment here because uh, people have been asking about um, like rules strategy discussion things like that like hardcore intense gameplay and strategy discussion which is something I love anyway so I have no problem delving into that I've already covered a lot of that of course including especially on some solo episodes recently or semi-recently <laughs> Um, the new segment is going to be going to the Pirate Code, which I have on my fan site. Um, it's on Boarding Beak, of course. It's a 64-page document, the frequently asked questions for the rules that Wolf has made and updated, uh, the most recent update, December 2016. And basically, I'm going to use a random number generator to go from 1 to 64. I'm going to do this right now on the video in real time. Page 1 to 64, I'm going to pick a random page. And, and then I'm just going to delve into things and do some thoughts on the rules and strategy of the results. So I'll try not to just read, but we'll see how it goes. This is the first time I'm doing it. So got page 30. So let's see what I can do here. All right, so let's see. I'm thinking that's going to be in the ability section of the Pirate Code. I know the document somewhat well because I've used it so many times. And yeah, so we're into about halfway through the Pirate Code. On page 30, we've got... The abilities of Kraken, Limit, Longship, and Loyal. So it's actually, and then it starts the next page starts with Marine, so it's actually kind of a shorter page, which could be good for a little test run here to see how much I like this segment and see how much you like it as well. Definitely want to get feedback on this because um, it's a new new idea for the podcast. So, all right, so Kraken Octopus continued from the previous page, but there's a huge entry on that, so I'm not going to go to the previous page. It's going to get crazy. So. It says Captain Davy Jones' ability. That's the that's the really weird crew from Pirates of the Caribbean set where you can like uh, target someone with the Kraken and have like a lock on. It's really bizarre. So his ability only provides the Kraken with a plus S movement bonus. Move toward and shoot at are separate clauses that restrict what a Kraken may do when benefiting from that additional movement. They do not refer to a single move action and do not grant the Captain ability. So that's kind of that's kind of really easy to understand. And that's the last part of the Kraken, actually. So the next one is L-Range cannons cannot hit this ship. So, um, so that one's the L-Immunity ability. I'm just kind of going over some of it in my head as I read it. So, oh, this is interesting, actually. It says a ship with this ability is a valid target for a shoot action by a ship with only L-Range cannons. Any shots fired at this ship by L-range cannons automatically re miss regardless of the die roll. That's weird. I find that kind of strange. So yeah, so it says L-range cannons cannot hit this ship, the L-immunity ability. So it's different than the S-immunity where the ship cannot be shot at by ships with an s -word. Then you can't even target the ship. But with the L-immunity, um, you can, looks like you can. I didn't really know that. So learn something new about pirates every time you go into the pirate code, basically. Um, so you could target the ship then you'll automatically miss. So I guess it could be a way of, um, like, wasting time in a game or something. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I also think about it in terms of customs, though. 
I've got, Derek's and I both have at least one custom each that's almost like a mirror type thing where um, it's kind of overpowered <laughs> to say the least, but or at least the concept is you can make it less ridiculous, but um, where like if you shoot at a ship and then if the opponent, if the defender gets a good die roll, you can like reflect the shot and have it hit a ship beyond or a ship adjacent to that ship, stuff like that. So I guess you could try that with this to try to like use it as like a reflection. But anyway, that is weird that you can still shoot. So you could just like roll dice and just waste people's time, I guess, if you wanted to. I guess can, since the, I mean, L immunity is not like overpowered compared to the S immunity ability, but in a way, if, if you thought it was overpowered or you, if you really hated seeing it, or maybe if your opponent used the same ship all the time, like the Jarvis is a good American ship with this ability. Um, if you got really sick of that, you could kind of like try to punish them for using that ship by like using your L range cannons to like shoot at it anyway. Um, I guess it wouldn't work well because you'd probably lose the battle. Jarvis is not a bad gunship. Uh, but anyway, so, and yeah, shoot action using the broadside attack keyword overrides and ignores this ability, even if the attacking ship was only L range cannons. That's not surprising because broadside's attack says no other abilities may affect this one. Um, so. That one's that one is cool though. Um, I don't think I've done that yet. Actually, using a broadside's attack ship that only has L range cannons to shoot at something with the L immunity, I wouldn't really think that's actually something I didn't really know either. Even though it's not too surprising, so that is one good thing about broadside's attack to ignore this defensive ability. That's really cool. So you could have the Jarvis. We got oh yeah, Commodore David Porter is American crew with captain and broadside attack. You could use that against um, another ship with the L-range immunity and then still hit that ship since the broadside's attack ignores the ability and it you know, reduces the cannon ranges to S, which I guess isn't as important in terms of the rules. But that is good to know. So yeah, broadside's attack, usually overrated, but once in a while us veterans kind of underrate it a little bit. So um, let's see what we can find here. The limit is pretty basic. And yeah, limit basically doesn't apply um, if you capture a crew with the limit keyword and you already have one in your fleet. So limit means you can't have another uh, game piece with that keyword in your fleet. But um, if you have ransom in addition to limit or it's captured by another ability that makes it worth gold, that crew's limit keyword is ignored while on the opposing ship. Um, this is because ransom in the Gold capture ability disables all the abilities of that crew, including limit when the capture occurs. So you don't have to like toss a limit crew over just because you capture one. So a little weird, but makes sense, I guess. Because uh, it's really only supposed to apply when you're building your fleet, not once gameplay starts, basically. So um, long ships can't be pinned by any means, including the effects of Sea Monster Titan and the Scorpion keyword. And yeah, I'm not going to read everything. It's going to bore people too much. Oh, one thing I should probably mention, though. Okay, these two things I'm going to mention. At the end of the longship keyword, there's a few things that are obvious to veterans, but newbies should probably hear it. So the longship keyword gives you two shots per mast, but a musketeer adds a single cannon to the ship, not a mast. So it will only provide one additional shot, not two. So if you put a musketeer on a longship, on a three-masted longship, for example, you could total seven shots in a shoot action not eight. So you could get eight um, if you got a Marine on there too. I actually did that with a two-masted longship. I put a Musketeer and a Marine on it. Then it had six shots for 
two masks instead of four, but the Musketeer only adds one shot, not a mask. And then, of course, same thing with Cannoneer. That keyword applies to a single cannon, not a mask. So if one or both cannons on a mask miss, a Cannoneer will only allow one additional shot. So pretty basic, but just definitely something to keep in mind. And that goes along with Wolf's general philosophy. He's put on his uh, either Board Game Geek or his uh, miniature trading page where there's two different ways to interpret an ability or an effect in the game. Use the one that's less overpowered and less gamey. So, you know, Musketeer, you can't, like, start doubling longship power with Musketeers. It's already powerful enough, so it doesn't you're not adding a mass to the ship. It's just an extra cannon. So, anyway, uh, just to clear that up. So, I might try that again. Feel free to uh, tell me what you thought of that segment, the random pirate code page, and then going over the entries for that. Like I got about five minutes left for 30 minutes, which is good timing actually. I'm almost done. Um, another one, another survey suggestion talked about interesting fleets for X point games. So I would actually suggest going under the 40 point limit sometimes, um, partly because one of the biggest complaints people have is that the game is too long, or they don't have people to play with, or they don't have time to play. So one way to try to circumvent that is to start small and build up from there. So try 20 points. It's actually a really fun build total. Uh, it's quick, so the game will be over faster. The build will go faster because you're only building, you know, half of a fleet basically compared to the typical 40 point build. So the, the construction and setup period will go faster and it forces you to be more efficient with building. Um, I would recommend no zero limit ransom plus five crew at this build total. Then it just just because it adds a higher percentage of points. So if you have a zero lower plus five and your opponent doesn't, you're adding whatever that is, like 25% more points to your fleet as opposed to a lower percentage add, like 8% or whatever it is in a 40-point game or 12.5% or whatever. So I wouldn't really recommend the plus five crew being allowed in games under 30 or games under 40 points even. So and just in general, if your opponent doesn't have one and you do, probably just leave it in the box, you know, um, no need to embarrass people and make them wonder why they, why they haven't collected enough yet. So in general, they're, they weren't a great addition to the game anyway. So, uh, they're easy to get going 20 point games. Uh, it's fun with multiple players or multiple fleets per player. I actually played a water world game against Rokozai in 2017, um, with a couple of cool fleets and it was super fun. Um, it was a really cool game. Water world is a, is a, Basically, a kind of like a house rule rule set uh, by Brett B45 and his game group, where instead of home islands, you have forts, and you have to defend your fort. And basically, once all gold is um, taken from an island, the island sinks. So and then the game ends when there's no dry ground left. So and the forts can be destroyed. So it's pretty sweet. And I did this with Repkozai. We had two 20-point fleets each. So instead of one v one at 40 points, we, it was basically 2v2 at 20 points, but with only two players. But the fleets aren't allied, so, you know, you just got to play your fleets equally, but, you know, I've already given advice on that. So, it was a cool game. I used a couple, kind of, I think they're pretty good fleets for 20 points. I didn't win the game. It was pretty crazy, but it was really fun. I've got a fleet um, with the Lebelule, which is that French wind catcher that's wicked good. SL speed, 9 points, 6 cargo, and I put some really good stuff on. I got Jordan Dumas for captain with reroll, and then I've got um, 
Or no, he's a no, he's a proxy for Lady Roy Mata. So this is a kind of overpowered fleet for 20 points. Um, Lady Roy Mata from Return to Savage Shores has Captain with Foreign Leader. So on a five or six, you can be given the same action twice. And I've got Zero Limit Ransom Crew Godiva linked to him or to her, I should say, for zero points. Then I can re-roll the SAT roll. And I've got a Helmsman and an Explorer. The ship is moving up to SLS double, so SLS plus SLS in a maximized turn. And then I've got the Mermaid, a pirate two master, or one master for two points, one cargo LL move. So it's pretty cool to see that fleet go crazy. Um, and I got the other fleet I had was also very gold oriented, even more so. It's called six gold bonuses at 20 points. And the way I did that was I had the El Alquimista. The Spanish ship with the plus two gold ability for 11 points. It's a great gold runner. Overall, a great ship. Even a decent hybrid, too. And then, perfectly enough, the Spanish native canoes are nine points. So that brings me to 20. And then each of those has the plus one gold ability. So I have basically six gold bonuses for a total of up to plus seven um, gold, gold points overall per trip, uh, counting all six ships. So... Anyway, some nice fleets I made. It was a fun game. I definitely recommend uh, actually lowering the build total. Usually I advocate going higher, but I realize people don't have time uh, to play the huge campaign games that I love. And I just I just spread it out. Like t They are really campaigns going to take a wicked long time. It's still pretty small overall. So, But I think 20 points is an underrated build total to try out. It's kind of, I realize it's kind of breaks people's paradigms maybe of like, you know, 40 points is usually the minimum and then you go up. But kind of totally going out of the box and going like way lower is actually surprisingly fun. So it's pretty cool. Um, sometimes it gets a little gamey because you might see even more of the man sheets cry and overpowered stuff like that than usual. But it also limits things and makes you be really efficient with your build total. Um, so that's not a bad thing either. So I've got a new idea. In addition to the question of the day, I might do a little challenge um, for anybody listening to the podcast. So um, not to be too demanding or anything, but I guess the challenge for this time would be your next game of Pirate CSG should not be at 40 points. So you don't have to use 20, but try to challenge yourself. And next time you play Pirate CSG, don't do the standard 40 point build total. Try 20 or 60 or 200 or whatever. So that's the challenge for this episode. And then the question of the day is uh, any ideas for new segments that we could pursue? So I started a new one here with the random pirate code page. And going over some of the some of the results there, but any new ideas could help us make more podcasts and uh, help us, you know, create useful, engaging, and fun content to talk about. So thanks for answering that. Uh, you can answer in the comments below on YouTube. You can actually comment on Shout Engine, I believe. So or just reach out to me directly wherever you want to do. A7XFanBan at gmail.com, as I've posted before. So this is podcast number thirty-eight. A7XFanBan and. Uh, See you on the high seas.